The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on November 22nd, 2020, and I'm joined today by our producer, Adam Rosenhart, as always. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Adam? Good. Just uh, getting ready to put up the Christmas decorations here. That, that's 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 great. Do you do, you do a big Christmas decoration uh, 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 display every year? Are you, are you the Clark Griswold of your block? No, but our next door neighbor is. He has a really elaborate light display that people come and take photographs in front of. And last year, we put out a, a sign out front in our yard that was lit up that just said ditto with an arrow <laughs> pointing next door. So that was my wife's idea. Oh, that's we'll, we'll try something different this year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you got to you got to shake it up, especially if your your neighbor is like, uh, you know, an Instagram influencer location. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we are thrilled to be joined uh, uh, today uh, to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Annalise, Annalise Klingbeil. Uh, Annalise is the co-founder of Champion Communications and PR. Uh, she previously worked as a government press secretary. And before that, she was a journalist with the Calgary Herald. Welcome back to the podcast, Annalise. Hello, thanks for having me again. Happy to be here. Ex excellent. And now we we had you on. You you joined us on the podcast uh, a few months ago, actually. In, I think it was at the end of May, where we talked about. Uh, it was our first episode where we talked basically entirely about the situation with Alberta's parks and what the government is doing um, with Alberta's parks, provincial park system. And and we're going to talk about that again today. Uh, but first, the first thing I wanted to talk about because there there is a. I mean, it, it is very current. It is it is on everybody's minds. There's a real sense of urgency about it. Um, is the second wave of the COVID nineteen pandemic, which has is hitting the world, but hitting and hitting Alberta Alberta specifically is what we're going to talk about. Yesterday, the um, the the Department of Health released numbers saying that there had been thirteen hundred new cases of COVID nineteen uh, diagnosed uh, yesterday, um, which is the largest daily number we've had. Um, over the past week or so, we've been having new daily records being broken. Um, we've now you know, moved to the point where it's not on, it's, it's nor it almost seems normal to, it's not shocking anymore when there's more than a thousand. Whereas, you know, weeks ago it was, we were getting into the seven, eight, six, seven, eight hundred numbers of cases, new cases a day. And, and that seems shocking. And now it kind of feels like it's a, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a sense of relief when there's only 600 new cases a day. So I mean, that's just showing how, I mean, how intense this is getting. And we wanted, I wanted to talk with you a little bit today, Annalise, about some of the government communication around COVID. Um, Adam and I have talked about this kind of a bit periodically on, the, on this podcast about how government communications, I mean, there's, there's a number of different layers. There's the kind of official communications from the political side of government, and that's, you know, Premier Kenny going to a press conference, and and Premier or um, uh, Health Minister Tyler Shandro uh, sending out messaging. Um, there's Dr. Dina Hinshaw uh, who has her kind of uh, press conferences every second day or every day, depending on how how serious the situation is getting. Um, talking from the public health perspective, and then there's the the government messaging and in, ter in terms of the government advertising. Um, and one of the comments that that Adam or one of the things that Adam and I talk, have talked about is how the mess the messaging from government kind of like the public i want to say like public education campaign and adam had a better term for it was it was it not, not social marketing but it was yeah um, it was it was social marketing social marketing yeah and, and and in terms of trying to communicate 
in different ways to specific demographic groups. It seems that um, government communications has remained kind of static over the past, basically over the past eight months. And you see the ads pop up on Facebook, you see the billboard, the electronic billboards outside, and it doesn't seem like the messaging has changed very much. And and as the numbers rise, it's it, it seems pretty easy to conclude that the messaging from government isn't necessarily working. Actually, it isn't working at all because cases are going up. And and obviously, we had a lull over the summer. There was a big spike in cases the first wave in the spring, and then summer came, and we became used to kind of uh, daily increases in the teens, or even at some point, there was daily increases uh, that we were finding in, in the single digits. But now we've reached a point where the second wave is here, uh, here with a vengeance. So, I mean, I guess, could, could you share just some, some of your thoughts on how the government is communicating this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, first of all, last time I joined you was six months ago, which is crazy yeah. <laughs> because time is meaningless right now. Um, but just to think back there, I think end of May, so we were probably still in that lockdown. If not, like it was just things were starting to lift. And the fact mm -hmm. that six months um, later, numbers are like way worse. I mean, this was predictable. We knew that this would come and um, here we are. And I think it's too bad in terms of the communications. I mean, both of you can probably speak to this even more so than I can, but repetition is so important in communications. And other than, you know, Jason Kenney repeating his lines about personal responsibility, I don't know if we're if we're getting that repetition. We've gotten the repetition of like wash your hands, wear a mask, stay six feet away. Um, but I feel like the message is changing depending on who you're talking to. You know, you have doctors saying we need a lockdown, and then you have a premier posting pictures of being with other people. Um, I, I think that repetition is lacking. I do think on the communications front, interestingly, and I'm sure both of you notice this. Um, AHS released like a pretty uh, heartbreaking photo this week of a doctor telling a patient that or telling family that a patient their loved one had died of COVID and I thought that was an interesting move just because we haven't seen that in the past nine months um, it was a photo by Leah Hennel who many people in Alberta know a, a good friend of mine and a brilliant photographer but just the emotion in that image and then today cbc kind of has a photo essay um with quotes and more photos from leah showing that those those inside photos and i mean we were seeing these photos in march and april from other countries and and to see them here i guess i i, I would turn that question back on you dave i know you understand communications well what what did you make of the fact that they're now maybe turning a little bit to like that visual storytelling well, I think I no, that, that, that's a great point, and I think that there's this is an important shift in in their messaging. We talk a lot. There's been a lot of reporting and a lot of discussion about ICU beds and the you know the the overcapacity in in in, in intensive care units in hospitals um, across the province. But there hasn't been as until now there hasn't been as much focus in the media on the actual people who work there and the toll that this pandemic is taking and. Uh, and the, I mean, the stress and the overworked situation that these that these healthcare uh, healthcare professionals, nurses, doctors, specialists are be, are being put in. And I think that, and I saw that photo essay um, that the CBC posted uh, either yesterday or this morning, and I'll put a link to it in our show notes um, because I think it's something it's that uh, that people should look at. But I mean, presenting, reporting on that the individual toll that it's taking, the actual toll that it's taking on individuals and uh, how much stress this is putting on individuals. Um, 
is is I mean I think that, that I think that's that is an important shift, and I think when people see that, um, that will have a real have re- will have a real emotional pull. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder too, you mentioned the messaging's not getting through because we're seeing cases rise. And I think most of the research right now is showing those cases are rising amongst um, a certain age group. And are we reaching them, right? Like is, is any of these levels of government communications, are they on TikTok? Are they on Instagram? Are they actually like reaching these people where they are? I have a few friends um, on Instagram who are in their early 20s and it's like their stories are full of social gatherings with friends. And meanwhile, I think a lot of people are like, hey, I've been in essential like lockdown since March. What are you doing? Um, and so I, I guess that would be part of it too is we've had like, I, I know in the beginning, I think there was a lot of forgiveness because mm-hmm. everything was happening so fast. We've had nine months to kind of figure it out. Um, so our, our I, and I don't, I don't know, I'm not on TikTok. I don't know if AHS is doing advertising on TikTok or doing posts there. I, I would guess not. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah, Adam. I think not. I think the one of the challenges with TikTok is that you you have to find a following because you can't do regional advertising on TikTok in Canada yet. And so, okay. so that's, that's a, I mean, I think AHS could come up with some pretty outstanding uh, visceral emotional content that would work on TikTok. But I also think if you consider from March to today, the messaging has changed so much. It's, it's been like a ping pong match. So first it was stay home. Then it was put on a mask uh, stay six feet away from people. Don't go out if you don't have to. Then it was you can hang up. W- you can hang out with up to like ten people. Then it was you can go to church with fifty people. The messaging is too complicated. It's changed too much. And I think today it should be stay home unless you absolutely have to leave the house. And that's one of the big communications challenges they're facing. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that repetition is totally lacking. And I mean, I saw a tweet thread. Um, this weekend recently from a doctor saying like, I'm tired of doing interviews. I've, I've, I'm go, go, go nonstop doing interviews. And clearly it's not like reaching people. And how do we reach these people that need to hear this message? And I think anytime I go on Twitter, I'm like, I get it. My little bubble on Twitter is all staying home. They have been since March. No one has seen any family. No one has seen anyone, but clearly there's like a very large percentage of the population that that's not getting through to. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think part of it, uh, I mean, part of part of the issue specifically in Alberta, I mean, we're the only province without a provincial mask mandate. Uh, so you have a situation where, I mean, the majority of the population lives in in jurisdictions, in municipal jurisdictions where there's a mask mandate because the province has said uh, it's up to municipalities to decide. So both Edmonton and Calgary, uh, I think Lethbridge, um, Red Deer, Fort McMurray, a lot of municipalities have, uh, you know, Banff and Canmore, a lot of municipalities have adopted um, mask mandates, but there's large parts of the province that haven't. I mean, this past week, the town of Strathmore Council voted against a mandatory mask mandate. So there's no real consistency across the board. And, and I mean, I, I, I get the kind of, uh, the the political... Uh, considerations that the you know that the government is trying to make. I mean, these are electoral. These are trying not to uh, aggravate uh, you know perhaps rural voters who don't want government mandating certain you know mandating things. But I think it's I think I think at this point we're beyond that, and it's important. It's it's critical that the government step in, the provincial government step in and take uh, take responsibility and, and implement a mask mandate because this is this isn't something that is unique or 
or confined to the to Edmonton and Calgary, to Calgary and Edmonton, to the to the large cities. Uh, this is something we're seeing outbreaks in smaller uh, smaller communities across the province, um, from way down south to way to way up north. Um, so, one of the things that I mean, we talked about mixed messaging. Um, we've seen a real mixed messaging from some MLAs. Uh, now, there's there's you know, and I I feel a lot of sympathy for. Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who gets out, uh, take, goes out on the press conference every two days, and she's, you know, she can stress and, you know, basically talk about how, you know, it, it's it's increasingly important and this is very serious. Um, but it's clear that her messaging, she can only take it so so far. Um, you know, she's in a position where she is a public servant. She's an officer, but a medical chief medical officer, but she essentially is a public servant. She's not an independent officer like the Auditor General or the or the Ethics Commissioner. So she doesn't have the arm's length ability to kind of over override government. She can make recommendations, but um, she's in a position where if she, uh, you know, if she contradicted the government or contradicted the minister, um, it was, that would essentially be the end of her job. Um, so you know, she's been trying to be, be in a position where she can, you know, where she can stress the importance of this. But at the same time, we have government MLAs who appear to be undermining her communications uh, and undermining the work that public health professionals like Dr. Hinshaw are doing. Uh, the most notable one this week, this past week, was Banff Kananaskis MLA Miranda Rosen, who sent out a constituency mailer to thousands of her constituents, um, basically saying that the uh, the pandemic the, the worst of the pandemic is, was behind us and now it's time to focus on on the economy which is you know a shocking thing to say uh, in, in, considering it was basically sent out on the day that we were breaking daily records and the second wave is, is absolutely here now I've heard um, mixed mess more mixed messaging on 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 how that actually came to be apparently she said she sent out a statement or her office sent out a statement that um, because I don't believe she's been available for interviews but her office sent out a statement that the 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 print was written in October, uh, and then Canmore Mayor John Borrowman came out and said, actually, he spoke to her last week, and she basically doubled down on it when he spoke to her. So, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's it's this doesn't help. But the one thing that seems to be missing, you have all these mixed messages coming from from government MLAs. Um, we know that the party system, this is a top-down party system, but the top doesn't seem to be speaking. So what, you know, what, what, what do you think is going on with, with Premier Jason Kenney? He seems to pop up every now and then in the spring. He was basically front and center. This was the Battle of Britain. Uh, you know, he wanted to you know, fight, fight on the beaches. He was you know, the Margaret Thatcher of 2020 Alberta. Uh, but you know, where, where is Jason Kenney now? He seems to pop up every now and then, but um, Sure, he's in quarantine or in self-isolation because he's been exposed, but that hasn't stopped him from uh, from video conferencing into UCP uh, constituency annual meetings and conferencing into to to do his government business. But but he seems to be totally missing uh, in terms of of the public. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think this week will be really uh, interesting and telling. I know a lot of people are kind of anticipating Hinshaw's. Um, first newser this week and whether Kenny will be there or not. I, you, you look to other provinces where, you know, the premier, the health minister have been side by side at every single one of them. We haven't had that here. And with numbers getting worse and worse, yeah, great question. Where is Jason Kenny? Well, hopefully we'll see him this week um, and, uh, and he'll be able to say something concrete and, and provide some, some defining action.
This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. And if you choose Park Power, your money stays here in the province. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by The Shared Mic. Can you remember the last time you spoke to someone from a totally different generation who wasn't a member of your family? There's so much we can learn from listening to people both younger and older than ourselves. The Shared Mic Conversations for the Ages is a unique interview format intergenerational podcast by age-friendly Edmonton, bringing together people of different ages and backgrounds to discuss topics that matter to them. Season two is out now and features conversations about cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, volunteerism, and more. Find The Shared Mic on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. Moving, moving on to to uh, I, would, I don't want to say a lighter topic. I mean, it is a lighter topic, but it's but it but it's a very it's a very uh, frustrating topic, and it's something that that uh, a lot of Albertans are incredibly passionate about, including yourself. Um, six months ago, you joined us here on the podcast, and we talked about the government's uh, plans to delist or privatize. Uh, I think it was 160 provincial parks and recreation areas. Uh, this was a unilateral decision that uh, that the government made that uh, Environment and Parks Minister Jason Nixon uh, began to implement earlier this year. Um, do, can, can you give us an update of what has happened since then? What, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot, uh, you know, where, where, where do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, where to start. As I said, six months uh, feels like... It feels like six years ago, Dave. Um, I guess so. we last talked at the end of May and then we headed into the summer and like things were busy, I think would probably be the first place to start. You had all these people who had like stayed home for a couple months. Um, the parks were closed. People weren't allowed to go to Banff National Park. They weren't supposed to go to these parks. And then all of a sudden when things started opening, uh, they were really, really busy. So I think that's like a, a big thing. And I, I get that a lot of people weren't going on their regular summer vacations and this and that. I also think people um, were taking to heart the advice to like go outside and they were seeing what this does for your mental health and seeing that this is like an inexpensive way if you have kids to get out of the house and do something different. Um, so I think it's, Parks were really, really busy. Rescues, there was a lot more people um, who were new to going outside who needed to be rescued. And we saw things like people organizing community cleanups because sites were so overused. Um, bookings like wildly up. I, I think a big kind of key theme over the summer was just how much our park system reused. Um, in terms of what else, I mean, the government removed the list of the closures from its website that made some headlines. And then I think another kind of big thing is um, the lawn science. And I don't know what it's like in Edmonton, but it's nuts in Calgary how many defend Alberta Parks lawn signs there are. And like in neighborhoods that 
I've door knocked in that are very conservative neighborhoods that <laughs> you can look at their voting history that are very conservative neighborhoods and just like house after house with a defend Alberta Park sign. I was in um, Redwood Meadows and Bragg Creek yesterday, which for anyone who knows is like not exactly the first place that comes to mind when you think of progressive Alberta and like a ton of lawn signs there in Bright Creek and Redwood Meadows. So the Defend Alberta Parks, um, the lawn sign campaign, it was launched, I think it was September, it was maybe a little bit earlier, but by CPAWS and the Alberta Environment Network. And I guess another point on that, and maybe it's different in Edmonton, but like Calgary doesn't have a lawn sign culture. If there's not an election going on, <laughs> people here don't have lawn signs up. And um, it's not, so I know in um, in October, CPAWS had said over 12,000 signs had been distributed. I know it's more now. I stopped for um, lunch in Bray Creek and they had like stickers and pins and they're like, oh, take them, more people the better, donate, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's like a key thing. And then kind of moving into the fall, the UCP announced some um, some money to improve existing sites that was announced here at Fish Creek Provincial Park in Calgary. And then, um, and then we have seen kind of these dueling provincial uh, NDP and UCP campaigns, which we can get into. But I, th I think my kind of two key takeaways from the summer is just how busy and well used parks have been. And then these lawn signs that are popping up everywhere. Yeah, I've noticed in in uh, in my neighborhood here in Edmonton, and, and I mean it's a pretty orange part of the city uh, that I live in. Um, uh, I'm in the Edmonton Highlands Norwood uh, constituency, but I mean taking my dog for a walk through the neighborhood, I you know I I'll go for a 20 minute walk, and there's probably about a dozen Defend Alberta Parks lawn signs, and and there might be more there might be more of a of a lawn sign culture here in here in Edmonton. There's a lot of um, uh, the Health Science Association of Alberta has the uh, I, I Heart Public Health Care signs, and you see a, a number of those. But there's definitely more um, Defend Alberta Park signs uh, uh, around my neighborhood, and I've definitely noticed them around the city. So it's it's pretty remarkable how um, how effective this campaign has been in terms of getting people to actually take that. I mean, take that step to put a sign on their front lawn. Um, and as you said, twelve thousand signs across the province. This is really uh, an issue that I think is. Um, struck a nerve with uh, with quite a few Albertans in uh, in a big cross section. I mean, you said like red was it red, red Redwood Meadows or Red Meadows? Yeah, Redwood Meadows. Redwood Meadows. Yeah, I mean, you have yeah, you have you can go through an affluent neighborhood or you know a, a kind of a you know a middle class neighborhood or a lower income neighborhood, and and you do see signs all around. And and th the point you 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 made about parks being provincial parks being busy and well used over the summer, I thought that was very interesting um, because I'd heard that statistic as well. Um, and one of the justifications that was originally made for uh, for moving forward and delisting and privatizing parks was that they were underused. I think that was one of the justifications that, that Jason Nixon talked about uh, back in the spring. Uh, and from what I understand, and we can talk about this, this town hall meeting in just a second, but from what I understand, one of it, he, they basically removed that from their talking points at this point. But, well, yeah, again, to go back to like communications and repetition, um, it's changed wildly. And I was kind of just reading some old headlines trying to make sense of all of this. But at the very beginning, the big thing was that these are small, underutilized sites. I mean, Jason Nixon, Minister Nixon in interviews repeatedly brought up this example of, you know, some of the parks had as few as 36 users. The way that they, uh, per year, the way that they tried to frame this was like, they're small and underutilized. Um, journalists then asked for those usage numbers, cool, show us that they're underutilized, those have not come out. Um, but I mean, I visited, in, in 
the scheme of things being busy, I visited several parks um, this summer because there was not a lot else that we could do this summer. And like some of the ones on this list, so there's this um, down by Longview is kind of called the Highwood area. There's this whole, if you look at the map of where they're, they're um, being removed, like there's like a dozen in a row. There's like this whole whack of them. Um, so you start like, uh, we went in like August, Greenford Recreation Area, it's small, there's 13 sites. 10 of them had tents in them at four o'clock on a Friday. And then you kind of keep going. And it's the same sort of thing. Some of them are small, so that one's small, but then like we stayed at um, Cataract Creek Public Recreation Area. There's 102 sites there. We got there on a Friday night, 80, 90% of the sites were full. Um, wow. And and that's like, to me, that's not small <laughs> or underutilized. And then you can kind of keep going. So kind of 15 minutes from Cataract Creek, you go into the Livingston public land use zone. Again, public land use zone is crown land. So it's just a whole different world. And then you kind of keep going in there and there's more rec areas. So yes, some are small, like some have 10 sites, some have 20 sites. When I went in August, all of them were full, <laughs> if not almost full. And um, and then you look at like, this is just kind of one little area where there's a dozen in a row. There's there's lots of different pockets like that. And and I get, I get that some, I get that there's probably a few examples in like Northern Alberta where they had to, you know, helicopter and firewood and there was 30 people there per year, but there's 164 lists on the partnership um, partner, 164 sites, sorry, on the partnership list, and then 20 more closures. And I would say based on my small experience of exploring some of these, in no way are all of them very small and underutilized. And I think they, they, that's probably why they've stopped with that talking point, because they know that it's not true. Mm -hmm. I know I, I didn't get a chance to camp in any campgrounds over the, over the summer. We just had a, my, uh, I, well, I just had a new, a new kid that was born over my a new kid that was born over the summer. So we didn't get a chance to do any camping like we usually do. Uh, but my son and I, my older son and I, uh, did go and explore some of the provincial parks in and around Edmonton. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was always people around. You'd go in the middle of the week, and even if it's just people just going and, and enjoying, uh, you know, walking around the boardwalk on at uh, at Lois Hole Centennial Park near uh, uh, near St. Albert or River Lot 56, um, or going to even the Strathcona Science Provincial Park, which is kind of an oddball provincial park that's, that's attached to Edmonton's R uh, River Valley Park system. So it's an urban provincial park, which is, um, which is un unusual and it's also kind of abandoned, but it's basically, I mean, it's being reclaimed by nature, uh, but, uh, but there were people there. There were cyclists, there were people picnicking. There was a, there's a, a, a kiting club where they, <laughs> this, there's like a big berm right above the valley where these, this club goes and they, and they, it's maintained and the grass is, uh, is cut and they go fly these massive giant kites, uh, which was pretty cool to look. And my son who's four years old, uh, you know, ab absolutely loved it. So, um, that, I mean, and that was even in the city. And I mean, I think that this, 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 um, this issue really got me thinking about some of the provincial parks that are, that are close to, close to the city. And cause you know, a lot of times I think when I think about national or provincial parks, I think about, Oh, we're going to go to the mountains. We're going to go to Kananaskis or we're going to go to Jasper or, you know, some of the, the um, go to, you know, around the David Thompson area. Um, but I mean, this, this campaign really got me thinking about, and I think about quite a few people thinking about even just the parks that are in and around the city and, and parks that you can go that are just, uh, you know, just a, a drive away. So, um, I mean, I, 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 I yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised they, they dropped the talking point because it just, it simply wasn't believable to anybody. Um, so, there's, there's been, in terms of communications, there's been 
quite a bit that's gone, quite a bit of activity that's gone on. You talked a bit about the Defend Alberta Parks campaign, which C, which is CPAWS and the Environmental Defense Network, um, who've been launching this uh, this lawn sign campaign around the province. And there are two kind of dueling campaigns that are coming from the official opposition and the government caucus. Now, the sometime, at some point over the summer, the NDP official opposition launched the Don't Go Break In My Parks campaign. And uh, people will be familiar with the song, if not Google it. It's, it's, it's El Elton John and um, Kiki, I can't remember her last name. Anyway, uh, you can Google it. And so it's a play on that. Um, and I've been seeing stickers on, you know, bu bu uh, bumper stickers with the don't go break in my parks um, campaign logo on it uh, in and around Edmonton. And in respect, obviously that was to, I mean, to, to talk about this issue or to focus on this issue, but I mean, kind of piggybacked on the, on the defend Alberta parks campaign. Um, the UCP caucus launched a counter campaign. Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about what, what the, what the, the UCP caucus has done? Yeah, so they called it My Parks Will Go On, also a uh, clever play on a song, My Heart Will Go On. Um, and when they launched it, I mean, they said that they want it, uh, the campaign's about addressing what they call the lies spread by the opposition NDP. Um, and I, I mean that we can kind of pivot into the town hall as well, but those like lies, mistruth, misinformation, words like that um the ucp threw around a lot when they launched their campaign and a lot at the town hall um which and i mean they're, they're also like labeling this the cpaws campaign is the green left and activist groups and you know choose any of those like words that you you've heard uh, premier kenny toss around but um yeah i don't i i guess i'd be curious what your take is on the my hearts will go on launch, Dave. I, I, the coverage I remember seeing was just kind of mentioned it, mentioned the NDP campaign, and and that was that. And then like Twitter made fun of it. Like it kind of was this one day, one day sort of story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it it uh, it was it was interesting to see that they responded to this because to the to the parks issue because. I mean, one of the one of the defining. I mean, I've, I've talked about this for for the past two years. Is that one of like the defining key characteristics of this government is never admit you're wrong and never apologize. And you see that on absolutely every single issue, even when it's clear that they made a mistake, which all governments do. Um, they're just like uh, pathologically unable to admit they've made a mistake. Now, that's why I found this campaign to be very interesting because it was clear to me that by responding to this. Um, their backbench, that their their MLAs and their backbenchers are getting a lot of pressure and are getting a lot of heat on this issue from their constituents. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have responded to this. They would have just ignored it and continued to call it a you know a a bunch of socialists and eco green left special interest groups. Um, but they've actually put put the you know put some effort and some resources into actually trying to combat this message. But you're right, it's the their their key messages are the other side is lying. And it's not true. I mean, I see uh, Nicholas Milliken, who's the BCP MLA for Calgary Curry. He's frequently on Twitter um, commenting on, on, you know, on the lies and, you know, people with the line signs can just take them down because it's just a, you know, it's just basically a, a misinformation campaign from the green left, um, which I don't think that messaging is, is really working. I mean, it's, that seems to be their message, their, their response to anyone who criticizes them on any issue almost. Um, but on this particular issue, I think that parks are, are an issue that, um, that 
kind of transcend uh, a lot of socioeconomic groups you know in our society um, and it's something that people hold dear and find important um, kind of regardless of which you know what your what your political or what your what your your partisan stripes are um, this is something that a lot of Albertans uh, a lot of Albertans find find really important um, so yeah I mean I think it was it, it shows that they are feeling the heat on it and it's the first time I think that they've really actually responded to criticism like this rather than just ignoring it and, and brushing it off um, so so th I mean they're, they're responding to a, to a demand from their backbenchers so individual MLAs are feeling a lot of pressure on this. Yeah, which I, I think relates to the town hall where you saw six Calgary MLAs participate. Like, I tell me the last time we saw six yeah. Calgary MLAs um, at anything. I mean, I, I think fundamentally a lot of what this comes down to is like, the language thing and they keep switching it from the beginning they said like if i can pull it up on the wayback machine here mm -hmm. because that's where it is now but like it's called optimizing alberta parks and they talk about partial full closures and they talk about these sites are going to close and then um you know their big thing at the town hall was like there's no closures there's no delisting nothing's going to close and then um I, and we can get into this, I was not planning to spend my nights tweeting about the town hall on Tuesday, but um, that happened. And then the press secretary for Minister Nixon, Jess Sinclair weighed in and she was like, she said, quote, closing is government speak for acknowledging the level of services may not be the same. Like since when is that the definition of closing, right? And if like, it's so just, I, I think a lot of kind of what they're doing on this file um, and if you if you pull quotes of what Minister Nixon has said from like day one to now, um, when he announced the the extra funds of 43 million in September, he said, um, delisting a provincial park from the provincial park system is not closing the park. But then like later he'll be like, we're not delisting. Like it's just people mm -hmm. are showing around all this terminology that who knows what it means because people keep changing the definitions. And then meanwhile, like more lawn signs are going up and if i was if i was the ucp and i saw on the horizon that we're going to have like two more years of people getting these defend alberta park signs and putting them up can you imagine going into an election um and having the defend alberta park signs up like i don't I, for for the five million dollars and we talked about this a lot more in march mm -hmm. that like five million in savings is a rounding error I, I don't understand why they don't just say like look and I, I know what you're saying, they don't admit that they're wrong, but like, why not just be like, look, um, we were wrong. We've heard you loud and clear. We're reversing everything we were gonna do on this, take down your lawn signs. Like if I was them, the big thing I would want is these lawn signs to be down because the longer we go, the more people see their conservative neighbors with these lawn signs and then say, oh yeah, it's okay for me to have one of these lawn signs, especially in a place like Calgary. And I think absolutely their backbench MLAs are hearing like a, a lot from constituents. And that's why six of them participated in this town hall that um, went very wrong in my opinion. So, so this was a town hall, it was a virtual town hall uh, broadcast over Zoom. It was on Facebook Live on on the United Conservative Party Caucus Facebook page. Um, I'm I'm all in favor of you know government MLAs doing more kind of outreach and holding you know real town hall meetings and and answering questions from from Albertans. Uh, but this felt like more like an infomercial to me. I watched it last night, and, <laughs> and it's on their Facebook page. I'll post a link to it uh, in the show notes. Um, but 
I mean, it, it did feel like an infomercial. We had a situation where, so um, uh, Calgary Glenmore MLA, Whitney Isaac was hosting or was the chair of the, of the, of the meeting. Uh, and as you said, there were about six or five or six uh, Calgary MLAs who were kind of the, 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 uh, the, the part, the panel, I guess you would say that, the, the to ask questions. Uh, and then you had environment and parks minister, Jason Nixon, um, answering the questions, basically repeating talk, a lot of cases, just re repeating talking points. But I mean, this, this felt for anyone who's watched question period, I mean, this felt like the kind of softball questions that government ministers get from government backbenchers in question period. I mean, I don't know whether, um, whether Jason Nixon had these answers or these questions prepared or uh, questions and answers prepared ahead of time. Uh, but it definitely felt like, like that was the case. There was no real hardball questions. And there seemed to be a lot of criticism from the people watching it at the time who were posting questions on Zoom in the chat or posting the questions on Facebook that, that their questions didn't get asked. And, and in some cases, I know there were, there would have been some uh, people who've claimed that the government or that whoever was, was monitoring the, uh, the questions deleted questions or uh, basically uh, closed down the chat on Zoom so the questions couldn't be asked because they were because they were being so critical. This seemed to be. I mean, I, I get where they were coming from. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to counter a message, but um, they're not. They seem to to totally to totally backfire on. Them. Well, yeah, I, I, totally. I, I guess one thing is that this was the first time in eight months that they've like actually talked about this file. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's reasonable to expect that people would have tough questions because mm -hmm. they haven't answered any of them in eight months. So I was on the um, the Zoom. I didn't know it was on Facebook. So I had like registered for the Zoom and then instantly um, the chair, uh, MLA Isaac was like, you can put your questions in. I was like, mm -hmm. boom, 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 boom. There was like four questions. And then all of a sudden it popped up and it said like the chat has been disabled. So they have since said, oh, we just disabled the public chat. You could still write in it and like we would see your question. But like it, it literally like popped up on my screen. The chat has now been disabled. And then same thing with Facebook. So then I, I was looking at the Facebook and people were like, as they were writing questions, they were just disappearing. Um, which I think most people concluded they were being deleted because they went back and they could not see them. No matter what happened, the point was that, yeah, the questions that were being answered were these like soft ones. They were using language like, they'd be like, okay, now for my second supplemental. Like that, that, that's not language that you use in a town hall when you're answering questions. It's language that you use in the house, right? Like any of us who've worked for government and watched our fair share of question period, in no ways did it feel like a town hall. And even some of the questions like um, MLA Ellis asked this one, like, what do you say to all the people that have lawn signs? Where can they go to dispel this misinformation? <laughs> like, it's just totally loaded questions. And so, I mean, I, I think um, in the end, it was just kind of entertaining because I don't think I had very high expectations um, on this file. But then what ended up happening is they were addressing the public for the first time in eight months. And then the next day they got all these headlines <laughs> about failed town hall. And then it feeds into their narrative that all oh, biased media and we can't catch a break and this and that. Like it's just this vicious circle that they pull on all these files where they can't just like admit we're wrong, we're reversing this, take down your lawn signs. And and one one of the, I mean, one of the kind of the key themes of this, of, of the parks issue over the past uh, past year is the lack of consultation that happened before the hundred and six the, the list of the hundred and sixty parks were were released. 
Um, one of the big criticisms back when the NDP was in government and Jason Nixon uh, was an opposition MLA, one of his big criticisms around one of the big parks issues um, during the previous government, its time in, in government, was the Bighorn Provincial Park or the creation of the, the proposed creation of the Bighorn Provincial Park, which was one of the big files that former Environment and Parks Minister Shannon Phillips um, uh, handled. And Bighorn Provincial Park, I think it was all or most of it was in is in the Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry Riding, which Jason Nixon represents. And there was quite a bit of criticism from Jason Nixon and from some municipal leaders in the and community leaders in that that area in what would 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 have been um, become the Bighorn Provincial Park. Um, that there was a lack of they felt there was a lack of consultation with the local communities and with the local stakeholders. Now, there's basically been no consultation with communities or stakeholders or Albertans on on what the UC for, by the UCP in terms of what they're doing uh, for parks. I mean, as you said, uh, this was the first time they've really done any public engagement or public pu spoken publicly about this outside the legislature or outside a press conference um, in the past eight months. And I thought one of the interesting things that Jason Nixon said, um, because there was a question, I can't remember which MLA asked this, it might have been Jason Copping from Calgary Varsity who asked the question about um, about what kind of consultation took place to make these decisions. And, and Jason Nixon's response was, I'm, I'm, par I'm paraphrasing him there here, but he basically said the consultation was the last election. And mm -hmm. this was in the UCP platform and the groups that the UCP consulted to write their platform were their consultation. So conservative groups were, you know, who knows who, because uh, it's, because parties don't really release that kind of stuff, but those were the group only groups that that that, that consulted that or that the UCP consulted that mattered. That's essentially what Jason Nixon said, which I, which I mean, which is kind of I mean that 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 is a talking point that they've repeated on a number of issues. But I thought that was just it was such a kind of it was such a tone deaf comment uh, during the first you know public town quote town hall um, that uh, that the government has held or that the UCP caucus has held on this issue to basically say. Um, oh yeah, all you people who are concerned, um, we're not going to consult with you because you know we won the election and that's it. And I mean, you know what? Like, you, governments do a lot of stuff that aren't that that isn't that doesn't get included in in party platforms. Um, or government does a lot of stuff uh, over the over the course of, of of four years. But it's very clear that you know that not consulting and not engaging Albertans on this issue has led to this backlash. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and they they know that it's hitting right. Like they know if 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 this was just the quote unquote green left, they wouldn't have done the my parks will go on campaign. They wouldn't have done this town hall. Like they're not stupid. They've seen these signs. They've seen which houses in what neighborhoods have these signs. Their their backbencher MLAs in Calgary are hearing from constituents. Like they know that this is an issue, and then to handle it in that way to say, oh well we got elected and, and that was the consultation. Like, I think it's just insulting to anyone who has has concerns about this. And again, like 12,000 signs in a couple months based on like 100% volunteer efforts. What's that gonna look like in the next six months? I, I think it's gonna keep growing. And I know we talked in, um, in May when I was on and in March when this was first announced, I talked about this is not like a let like this, this crosses partisan lines. Some of the people in my life who are most upset about this are like staunch conservatives. And um, and then looking forward, we're going to see like the partnerships announced and see these closures. And we're going to go into this like new camping season 
um, with things looking different. And I don't think people are going to forget about this. So Albertans who are listening to this podcast and may not, may, you know, they may have heard about the parks issue, but they don't, they don't know a lot about it. How, how do you think they can get involved and get, get active on this issue? Well, I mean, I would say like do your own research is something that I always um, recommend. I know the UCP plugs their site. I'm sure the NDP would plug their own. I would recommend people go to like other sources such as um, such as news media um, and like come up with your own conclusion. I think we've kind of done a good job of laying out the timeline of what's happened, but like get involved. Um, I mean, talk to your neighbors with Defend Alberta Park Signs, ask them for, for their thoughts and maybe get one of your own. I don't want to like uh, tell people how to do research, but I would say look at it from a variety of different angles. Um, but I mean, if you, I, I was looking at the My Parks Will Go On site um, this morning, and it's similar to what the town hall was, which is parks aren't closing, parks aren't being delisted, this is all a bunch of misinformation and lies. But then why are we like still having this conversation, you know, nine months since it was announced in, in March? And why have, I, I had a tweet that said like the goalposts keep being moved. And I think that's, that's a lot of this. They, they initially announce something and then they just keep, you know, changing the language to justify the actions. And it, I don't know if you caught this, Dave, in the town hall, but Minister Nixon did say there's been, um, there's been lots of interest about the partnerships and they look forward to seeing partnerships announced. Um, so I think a lot of people will be paying close attention to that. And another thing I thought was interesting that he said in the town hall is he used this example of Sylvan Lake um, Park. It was Provincial Park, now Sylvan Lake Park. So he, he used it as an example of like a successful partnership. Um, and so I did some research afterwards because I wasn't familiar. And Sylvan Lake was a provincial park. And then in 2018, so under the NDP, it was transferred to the town of Sylvan Lake. Um, the town wanted control because they wanted to better promote the area and license and manage waterfront business activities. And at the time this happened, news reports from the time said that 760,000 people visited the park annually. So they went from like in March saying in all their communication, this is like really small underutilized sites to then at the time of this town hall being like, well, here's this example. It happened under the NDP. The, the example of what we're gonna do is like what happened in Sylvan Lake. That's like a pretty different park if 760,000 people are visiting it every year compared to, you know, some of these smaller ones, like the ones I visited this summer where there's 13 sites or where there's 22 sites or where there's 10 sites and they're not like, in the middle of a town that triples in population during the summer. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, mixed messaging is definitely something that uh, that has uh, is a key feature of of the uh, of the parks debate from the government side over the past uh, over the past year. Um, so one one of the things that uh, that you've been up to over the past uh, past few months is. Uh, you started a Substack, mm -hmm. and I mean, you've talked about your passion for provincial parks and passion for the outdoors, and um, so you started this. It's called Go Outside. Is that what that was called? The Go Outside right. Substack, yeah. um, which which I've subscribed to, and I know a number of people have subscribed to. Uh, can you talk a little bit, share a little bit about that with our listeners? 
Yeah, for sure. Thanks for subscribing, Dave. Um, so my sister and I started a Substack. If you go to gooutside.substack.com, you'll find it. Um, we started it 10 weeks ago because I need to write edition number 10 today. And I think the thought was like, we both love going outside. Um, we go outside all the time during COVID. You know, everyone kept hearing from Hanshaw, like, go outside. It's good for you. Go outside. And we had a lot of friends who are like, but how and where should I go? And what should I do? And what gear do I need and I think we kind of got um, to this point where we're like instead of like posting pictures of our great adventures on Twitter and having everyone be like where is this um, why don't we like make a newsletter and help people go outside um, so it's all about helping people go outside and we sometimes we'll do kind of like a trip report during large season we had like photos and information from a large hike we went on when um, the parkway was opened we had this thing about like biking and hiking on the parkway sometimes we'll give like tips of like here's how to enjoy winter more um yeah just kind of a variety of information and we're always open to ideas we did one on cross-country skiing that was quite popular and had a lot of people asking like can you do one similar on snowshoeing um so our big thing is like this is not our target is not you know us and our friends who are like outside doing these like crazy trips every weekend it's people who are looking um to get outside and learn and take their kids outside and uh, and eventually get to the point where they're doing these awesome crazy trips so so what's winter is here uh mm -hmm. what's your favorite winter outdoor, outdoor activity um, my favorite activity is skiing because it's awesome and there's different types of skiing. I like cross-country skiing. I like downhill skiing. Um, in recent years, I've really gotten into backcountry ski touring and I love doing that. But like I, I love winter and a large part of that is because it's ski season and skiing is great. That, that, that's great. I, uh, I, I used to cross-country cross-country ski quite a bit when I was younger. My parents uh, are very avid uh, cross-country skiers and it's something that I hope to get back into this year. Um, I love downhill skiing and I go uh, a lot to, uh, usually out to Marmot uh, Basin in Jasper because uh, it's the uh, the closest mountain ski uh, ski resort, ski hill uh, near near Edmonton. And this year I actually have my, for my, my son, I have him, uh, we're registered for uh, for ski lessons at one of the uh, one of the ski hills here in Edmonton. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to sharing that with him and, and, uh, and getting him, uh, getting his ski legs going. And, uh, and hopefully, hopefully I'm crossing my fingers. Hopefully he enjoys it and he can, uh, you know, eventually in a couple of years, come with me, come with me to the mountains. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, there's so much, there's so much to do, uh, outside and uh, I mean especially in uh, in the, the situation public health situation that we're in right now you know people should avoid going into malls and you know crowded spaces as much as they can um, and you know if you can if you can bundle up and enjoy the outdoors whether it's going for a walk or, or going you know trying some new activity outside uh, you know that that's I think that's 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 something that we should encourage. So what would you recommend for someone who's new or wants to get into outdoor winter activities this year? Where should they start? What should they, what should they do? Well, Dave, they can subscribe to my Substack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, 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 one, I, they should subscribe because we'll kind of have tips throughout the winter. Um, we're realizing that winter is, is very long and uh, we'll need lots of articles, but I mean, I, I think a big thing is, um, 
go outside, just like just do it. And it, do, it doesn't need to be like something crazy. It can be a walk around the block. It can be like going skating. Um, it doesn't need to be like packing up the kids and going to a ski hill every weekend because that's not realistic and that's like out of reach for a lot of people. But I mm -hmm. think just, just go outside, um, especially at this time where so many of us are like in our homes, just the mental health boost and what it does just like for your energy to just, go outside, breathe in that like crisp air. Um, and then I, once you start doing that, I think there's things like having some of the right equipment so that you're warmer. I have friends who are like, I hate going outside, I'm cold all the time. And I'm like, have you ever looked at Merino wool? And they're like, what's that? Um, so kind of like, just don't get overwhelmed by the task of, oh my God, I need all this like crazy gear and I need to like learn this new hobby. I think just kind of take it one step at a time and and um and start i mean snowshoeing skating sledding are all like kind of good um gateway sort of things to going outside but just get out there and and do it and enjoy it mm -hmm. and i note um that uh, i'm sure i'm sure it's the case in calgary but i know here in edmonton there are a lot of publicly available skating rinks uh community leagues a lot of community leagues will flood their own rinks um, and if you, you know, buy a membership in the community league and get skate tags, you can feel free to use it anytime you want. Uh, there's, uh, there's usually a skating rink down by the legislature. Uh, I know a lot of the city parks, um, Rundle Park usually has a freezeway where it's like a path through the, you know, basically through the trees that they, they flood every year that you can go skating on. Uh, so there's lots of, there's lots of local things. Uh, and I'm, I'm obviously in, in, in smaller towns, there's lots, lots of, um, you know, outdoor rinks as well. Um, but, uh, you know, absolutely. I'd encourage people to, you know, check, check that out. Cause it is, uh, it is, it is, uh, it is accessible. So, so there's easy stuff that's accessible to a lot of people. And you're right, whether it's just, you know, going for a walk or going to the toboggan hill, or, you know, if you, if you have mm -hmm. kids or, or if, I guess if you're an adult, adults can go toboggan <laughs> tobogganing too. I think the, uh, the Edmonton ski club in the, in the previous years have had a, uh, uh, there's a set time where they open one of their hills up to uh, to tubes, so people can like ride. You know, adults can go and like ride the tube. You know, ride the big tubes down the hill, which sounds uh, awesome. And uh, I mean, I'm sure I'd hurt myself, but uh, but it would, <laughs> it would probably be a blast. That's great. I want to do that. And I think too, like, keep in mind that you don't embracing like a long cold dark pandemic winter doesn't mean loving everything about winter or like loving every sport mm -hmm. i keep bringing up skating and like i hate skating skating is like at the top of my list of winter activities that i cannot stand and that's okay there's other ones that i like so i think don't get like overwhelmed by the fact that you gotta you know love everything about winter but find some things that make you happy about it um because like if there ever was a year to embrace it um this is it absolutely i uh i wholeheartedly agree that's it for this episode thank you so much to annalise Klingbeil for joining us again again on the podcast today and and sharing your passion for alberta parks and uh updating us on the uh, the gong show that's going on mm -hmm. with, uh, with, uh, with the government and, and Alberta parks. Um, you know, hopefully this issue will, will be resolved soon uh, or else we'll have you back on the podcast in, uh, in six or eight months and you can give us another. another <laughs> hopefully we'll have a vaccine by then. <laughs> so. yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully. And it'll be, it'll be summertime by then. Um, so where, where can, uh, if people want to find you online or follow you online, um, where would you recommend they go? 
yeah, they can go to my Twitter, which is at Annalise AK on Twitter. Excellent. And give us again the uh, uh, the address for the for the Substack. Mm -hmm. And the newsletter is gooutside.substack.com. Excellent. Subscribe. It's uh, it's a fantastic uh, fantastic Substack. Um, send they'll send emails straight to your email account. Um, there's lots of great resources and info about getting outside. And as we all kind of settle, as you said, settle into this pandemic winter, it's uh, it's going to be important to get out and, and get some fresh air for you know for our mental health and and for just getting some vitamin D. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be really important. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to our producer Adam Rosenhart, uh, who always makes this podcast sound so good. Thank you, Adam. Uh, the Dayberta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Send us your feedback on Twitter and Instagram at, at Dayberta or on the Dayberta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at dayberta.ca. And we would love it if you could leave a review for a review or a rating wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, take care. Be kind to each other. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Avoid large groups. We're going to get through this. We 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 do have to get through this together. Um, and we'll see you in the next. We'll uh, we'll look forward to uh, to talking to you again on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>